Hey, it's Kathy. I'm so excited because, drumroll please, doors are officially open to my program, The Abundance Method. I have been wanting to put this program out in the world for two and a half years. I've been working on it behind the scenes, and this is my signature program. This is the program that is going to teach you the method, the framework for how to become a master manifester in your life. Why is that? Because everything is vibration. We live in a world that is atomic. That means the world is made of atoms, which is energy. 99.9% of every atom is energy and less than 1% particle. So in order for us to manifest in our life, we need to become the highest vibe possible and to sustain that. This program is going to show you how to meditate and how to set your day on the right track so that you have a practice that can help you project your amazing energy into the world, which will bend the 3D, which will help you manifest in ways that you won't even believe. This is a transformative live program. It is designed to help you on this journey of spiritual awakening. It's going to give you tons of tools. I'm going to show you how to change your energy, master the manifestation once and for all, This is the first program of its kind. We're actually trademarking all of this framework because it is something that is so unique and I think you're going to be so excited about learning it. Also, there are some bonuses right now. If you sign up before May 14th, you're gonna get the following. A magic morning journal, which is going to help you every day to set your energy in the right way, daily prompts. Plus, you're gonna get an exclusive podcast so that you can be listening to this program If you can't make the live Zoom calls, we can give it to you on a track so that you can be listening to it like you do a podcast. Also, you're going to get a pack of 10 meditations from me, and you're going to be getting a training that I just gave a workshop called Permission to be Rich, one of the best workshops I've ever done, which you will love. And there is a platinum level to this program. If you choose the platinum level, not only do you get extra coaching calls with me, you also get extra mentor support, but this is really cool. You also get a retreat included. My retreats are normally $3,000. You will get the retreat for free included. Plus, you will get a front row seat at that retreat because you will be on the Platinum VIP track at the retreat. All of this is here for you. I'd love to see you in this program. I want to see you tapping in, turning on to that electricity within you so that you can find your way to the life that you were born to manifest for yourself. You can join us now at kathyheller.com slash join. I cannot wait. Get on in there, see what all the excitement is about. It's going to be so much fun. And eventually I got fired, which was the best thing that ever happened to me. If you're a creative person, if you're a baker, a dancer, a photographer, a screenwriter, an actor, a comedian, a podcaster, and you want to figure out how to make a living doing what you love, this is the show. This is the show don't keep your day job. My name is Kathy Heller and I'm a singer songwriter. I make a living doing what I love and I want that for you. This is the show that's going to help you do that and give you not only inspiration, but some real life strategies. This is going to help you figure out how to take your creative passion and turn it into a profit. Thanks to BarkBox for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. BarkBox is a subscription service that delivers a selection of treats and toys for your dog right to your door each month. For a free extra month of BarkBox, go to BarkBox.com slash DreamJob when you subscribe to a 6- or 12-month plan. Hey, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So glad you guys are here. You're in for a treat. Tamara Mellon is here today. Tamara Mellon is the co-founder of Jimmy Choo. She is an icon and she is an inspiration to men and women everywhere. Not just because her brand is so incredible, but because of who she is. She is courageous. She's fearless. You know why? Not just because she took so many risks, and you guys are going to hear this whole story. And par- part of the reason I love, love this show is not just because I get to meet amazing people, but because we actually break the whole story into bite-sized pieces so that whatever it is that you're feeling like you would love to be doing with your life, you have this show to come back to week after week, and you hear somebody who you've always admired tell their story, but we really want to reverse engineer it. And so we want to we want to really get inside the journey and really talk about what it is that they did and how they were feeling and what felt scary and what risks that they took and and how they sort of, you know, troubleshot whatever they were doing in order to figure it out. And so it winds up feeling doable at the end. And so we're going to talk about Tamara's journey today. And and I'm really excited to to hear the ins and out of it. But one of the reasons I wanted to have her on the show is cuz she's so fearless. You guys know what I'm talking about when I tell you that truth is something that is so rare and it's so refreshing when somebody just tells the truth. It's so refreshing when somebody just owns it, whatever they are. We're all broken. We're all flawed. We're all afraid. We're all terrified. We're all 
sabotaging ourselves all the time in different ways and we all have blind spots that we can't see and we have moments when we are awesome and we're rock stars and we're graceful and we have moments where we are so stuck and our you know our minds are filled with chaos and we have anxiety about something and we can't even see that we do and we're just being reactive and it's ugly and that is every person but what every person doesn't do is own it and make it okay, like share it. Like we're all having this experience. And with Tamara, she's very vocal about the fact that she went to rehab. She talks about it and she doesn't create shame around that for other people. And when she talks about what's true for her, that's exhilarating because it is so sexy. It is so incredible. You do respect her. But what also happens is as a result of hearing somebody tell the truth, it unlocks what's true for you because it gives you permission to be okay with whatever you are. I've had the experience so many times in my life where people will say to me, I don't know why, but when I'm around you, I just tell you my whole life story. And I think it's because I am very transparent about what's going on with me. And when people say to me, how's it going? How's life? I never say, it's great. I never say that because it doesn't feel authentic. Even if something is going great, there's always something else that feels like it's just such a hurdle or it feels like such an obstacle because that's life, right? It's like if you're actually awake and you're here and you're present, there's so many things going on all the time and and we're always, you know, you know, coming up against like, you know, our comfort zone and so we have issues in our relationships, we have issues, you know, with ourselves and striving to, you know, get out of our comfort zone and go further and there's there's things that come up. It's just so refreshing and sexy when people tell the truth. And so I love Tamara. I love that she tells the truth and I want that to just be a reminder. I don't want you to I don't want you to miss that. I want it to be a reminder to all of you um, because we are all broken and there's nothing to feel ashamed about. And that's it goes hand in hand with being a creative entrepreneur and and being able to sit down with yourself even at the piano or at your easel or at the cello or in the kitchen and being okay with the fact that you're not perfect, that you don't have it all together yet and that some of it is really scary. And you can just notice that when you start to think about putting your work out there or when you start to think about calling this person or writing your vlog or putting something on Instagram, there might be some stuff that comes up and that's all okay and you don't have to feel ashamed shame around it. In fact, I invite you to talk about it and you'll be amazed at how people respond. You'll be amazed when you post something on Facebook instead of trying to convince the world that you're happy all the time, which nobody is. When you just say what's real, people respond and people start to unlock the truth in themselves. And so one of the reasons I think it's just so awesome to be on this journey of the warrior, right? Where you're like setting out to figure out what you're passionate about and turn that passion into your life's work and that it it is inspiring to the world around you and your legacy then isn't just the money you make or the brand and how successful that becomes it's how you showing up in the world day after day facing yourself facing your fears pushing a little bit further out of your comfort zone that takes so much strength because that if you're doing that it means that a part of you has to sit with the fact that you're not perfect and you're okay with that. You're willing to put your work out there. You're willing to sit down and create more work without beating yourself up and saying, this is so uncomfortable, I'm just going to stop and put it aside. And by the way, we all have those moments too, because that's part of this creative process. But this creative process is like staring yourself down in the mirror and you don't let yourself off the hook. You sit there and you stay there. But what part of what makes this easier is when you make it okay that it's not perfect and that we all have faults and we all have blind spots and we all have blemishes and we're all broken. And you know what? Broken crayons still color, right? It's like we still have so much life and brilliance inside of ourselves. And that's almost what makes it more beautiful. The fact that we the fact that we've been through so much, the fact that we've all had moments in our lives where we we went through childhoods. And by the way, if anybody is listening and, and you're over the age of four, you know, all of us have already been through so much, right? You become so courageous and brave and you are brave and you start to show people around you how brave they are because the more that you continue to fight on and you move forward and you are okay with whatever you are, you will help other people to have permission to be okay with whatever they are. And so 
I just want to remind you of that. And that's one of the main reasons I wanted to have Tamara on our show because she is fearless and awesome and confident and sexy and successful. And mostly because she's willing to sit with what's true and share that truth with everybody. And she's not here to sugarcoat it. And that is such an incredible thing. I just didn't want to gloss over it. So we're going to get to her story in one second. But before we do, I just wanted to say, if you guys are in the New York area, if you're in New York or in the surrounding cities, come join me October 10th. I'll be speaking at the RL Hotel in Brooklyn at the Living Stage, um, October 10th at 7 p.m. I'll be speaking for an hour. We'll do a 30-minute Q&A, and then I'll just be there to hang out, have a drink. So come on down. It's a free event, but you do have to RSVP, so we make sure we have space for you. So come to the Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook page, and you can click on the Eventbrite link, and you can save yourself a spot. I look forward to seeing you guys in New York. Also, this coming Thursday, I'll be doing a Facebook Live on the same Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook page at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, so come on over and we can hang out. And I'll be doing a video session with some of you. So if you want to sign up to be somebody who's chosen for that, go to the show notes on iTunes for this episode or go to the show notes on don'tkeepyourdayjob.com and you guys can click and um, I'll be choosing a few people to have a video chat session with and we can brainstorm your ideas and we can, I can just be there to help support you and move the needle further. Thanks to BarkBox for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. BarkBox is a subscription service that delivers a selection of treats and toys for your dog right to your door each month. All you have to do is tell BarkBox how big your dog is and choose a monthly plan subscription, which you can cancel at any time. Every month, BarkBox Paw picks the best all-natural treats and innovative toys to match a dog's unique needs, including allergies and heavy chewer preferences. Each monthly box is themed Country Fair or Bark Ball or Poo York City, etc. Free shipping on any BarkBox within the continental United States. When your dog falls in love with something... From the box, you can easily reorder it again on BarkShop.com or the BarkBox app. BarkBox sent a box of toys and treats to a friend of mine. Um, he's very involved in animal advocacy and he works at a lot of shelters. And um, I wanted to see what he thought about it. And he thought it was really cool. And he said that his dog loved it. So he sent me a picture of the dog and the dog was all like happy, like playing with all this stuff. There were some treats in there. He loved that um, they support local businesses. Um, and he seemed to think that it was really worth it. So I thought that was awesome. BarkBox is a new and exciting way to gift friends or family members who own a dog. Each gift subscription includes toys and treats in a unique theme every month. BarkBox is shipped right to your door. It's a great way to try a variety of treats and toys from local and small businesses that you may not otherwise be able to find. All edibles are made in the USA or Canada. BarkBox will replace any item your dog doesn't like from the box, scouts honor, and send you something else for free. Give the gift that keeps on giving and make somebody's lucky pup the happiest pooch on the block. Visit BarkBox.com slash DreamJob for a free extra month of BarkBox every month when you subscribe to a 6- or 12-month plan. That's BarkBox.com slash DreamJob for a free extra month. So without further ado, let's talk about Tamara Mellon and let's talk about her story and how she's become who she is and how she's affecting so many people everywhere and helping people to tell the truth and to walk forward in pursuit of what they love. I'm so excited. Tamara, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. So we want to hear a little bit about your story and how you've become the superpower that you are. So let's go back. Let's go back to when you were little for just a second. When you were a kid, did you love fashion? Where does this start? Yeah, it does. I absolutely, you know, I loved fashion when I was a kid. I used to dress all my friends at school. You know, I used to, <laughs> I guess before we even knew what a stylist was, that's what I was doing for my friends at school. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, um, I've always loved fashion. You know, when I was young, I knew I wanted to be in fashion, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. So I did many different uh, jobs within the fashion industry. And were you a creative kid? Were you making stuff? Yeah, I was more, um, I was like always playing with clothes. You know, I take my mother's headscarves, remember all those head turbans in the 70s and, you know, and I remember I'd, we'd be twisting them and putting them <laughs> on. And, you know, so it was always with clothes. You quit high school. Is that true? Yeah, I guess. So in England, we have a different system. Okay. Um, so I actually, I left school at 16. I didn't go to college. I was terrible at school. I left school with no qualifications. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> but, you know, what I realized, you know, uh, even though I left school with no qualifications, I wasn't, you know, I'm not stupid. Um, Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I had issues as a kid that, were, that weren't spotted. I wasn't helped or encouraged. 
you know, so I actually just kind of, yeah, I didn't go to college. I just kind of dropped out. And, but I had enough determination to know that I wanted to do something with my life. That's really inspiring to people who don't feel like they fit in school. And I think it worked out for you, Tamara. I think it all worked out. So what was the first thing that you did? What was your first project? So the first, the first thing I did, you know, I just started working on a shop floor. Um, and what I all often say to people, you know, you pick the industry you love and it, it almost doesn't really matter what you do in the beginning as long as you're working. It's better to be working than not working. Mm-hmm. Um, because also when you're just working, that's what also gives you ideas. Um, you know, you right. don't sit around looking for the perfect job. So I started working on the shop floor, selling clothes. I then worked for a PR company. I then worked for a magazine called Mirabella. And from mm-hmm. Mirabella, I went and I uh, was in the Vogue fashion room for five years, where I ended wow. up being the accessories editor. And, wow. that, and that is what gave me the idea to start Jimmy Choo. But everything I did before that, you know, when I look back, was incredibly important to getting me to where I am today. Wow, that makes so much sense. So when you look back, what are some of the things that you think, oh, that's a skill I learned on the floor of the store. That's a, that's a skill I learned in the editorial department. What are some of those things? So some of the most you know, valuable things is, you know, when I founded Jimmy Choo and we started opening stores, I'd worked on a shop floor. Right. So, so, you know, I knew how to run a store. I knew how to stock the inventory and knew how to serve a customer. You know, there wasn't a job in that company that I hadn't done myself down wow. to doing wow. work for a PR company. And, you know, what I often like to remind people is they know they weren't my passion. They weren't, it wasn't what I wanted to be doing, but I wouldn't have been able to build Jimmy Choo without those experiences. You know, this is just so incredible to hear because people look at you and they think, well, she must have been really lucky or someone must have handed her something, but you earned this. You you did every single piece of that process first. Yeah, I think what people don't realize is I'd actually worked for 10 years before I started Jimmy Choo. So it wasn't like I just started, it was an overnight success. Right. <laughs> and often you find in many companies, if you look at what the founders did previously, you'll probably see a lot of jobs and a lot of hard kind of toiling before that, before they actually got to that point. Yeah, that makes sense. So the last thing that I think you listed was being the accessories editor at Vogue. Is that correct? That's correct. So that's a huge, fabulous job in and of itself. And I have two questions. One is, is it like what they show in Delver Wars Prada? Is that, what it, is, that, is that what it feels like to work in a magazine? It is quite, it is quite like Devil Wears Prada. Um, <laughs> it is, I remember at British Vogue, um, I work for British Vogue, not American Vogue. Mm-hmm. You know, and you'd walk into the bathroom every day and you'd hear, ah, 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 ah. Oh my God. And you'd, and you'd literally hear someone crying every day. It was oh like, my God. <laughs> Wow. It was like an episode of Gossip Girl. Um, did you did you dress up to go to work like Anne Hathaway's did. character does? We dressed up every day to go to work. We wow. weren't allowed to wear jeans in the office. Wow. And everybody had an incredible outfit on every day. Obviously, we were kids. We couldn't it wasn't expensive, but we used to go to H&M and find like amazing things <laughs> and put them together. And, you know, that's how we put everything together. And, you know, so, so um, I never thought I'd hear those words coming out of your mouth. It's like, you know, everybody sort of thinks that you were born exactly what you are right now. But it's, it's <laughs> cute to think of you like, you know, hustling and, and buying clothes at H&M like all the normal people do, you know. So. This is the second question I wanted to ask. And you were already doing something that was pretty much a dream job in and of itself, you know, being an accessories editor at British Vogue. But there was something in you that said, I want to leave here and I want to do my own thing. I want to do something else. So what was that voice and why would you have wanted to leave? You know, I knew I wanted to have my own company. Um, Even while I was doing everything else, I just didn't, hadn't figured out how I was going to do it and what it was going to be. And, and so when I, when I was accessories editor, it was the early 90s, and there was only one shoe a brand that meant anything. Um, it was Manolo Blahnik. Mm-hmm. None of 
all the all the, the Louboutin didn't mean anything, you know, and all the the big companies today that make accessories, no one cared about their accessories. There was much more emphasis on ready to wear, and really, it was only Manolo. So, as an editor, you know, you get tired of shooting the same brand, and you want something different. So I found Jimmy Tune, who was a cobbler in the East End of London, and I would get him to make things for shoots. Oh, my so that's God, that's amazing. Vogue. Um, I didn't realize until I'd actually started Jimmy Choo that when I went to his studio and I was getting him to make things for shoots, I didn't realize that I was designing the shoes. It's so incredible. I mean, most people, they just take things at face value. They don't realize that Jimmy Choo was a cobbler. And that you were going to him and you were envisioning something that would be completely life-changing and changing to the whole world. What, so tell us a little bit about that. So how did you find him? How big was his shop? What does that look like? Because people don't know this. It is, it's fascinating. Okay, so it was like a Dickensian disused uh, garage in the East End of London. Oh and what you have to remember is... You know, in the early 90s, the East End of London was extremely dangerous. It was like going to oh God. Alphabet City or the Meatpacking District in, you know, downtown New York. Now, yeah. like like downtown, it's been gentrified and it's kind of hip and, you know, apartments, uh, you know, real estate's really expensive. But in those days, I remember Jimmy's assistant got mugged for her Chinese takeaway. Oh my God. <laughs> that's what it was like and it was behind barbed wire gates um, oh my god and it was almost like something you would imagine seeing in a third world country um anyway so i go down there and i sit with him and i'd say look okay i'm doing a grecian story and i'm and i'm want a grecian sandal and i wanted the straps here and i want to put studs on it and i want this height heel and i want this toe shape and and then he'd make it, and I'd photograph it and put a, a, you know, his name in Vogue. What I realized oh by doing that, no one could buy the shoes. He would make you a pair, like one off by hand. Right. If you bought <laughs> right. them and, and ordered them, but that no one could go anywhere and buy them. So that's what gave me that kind of light bulb moment. And I said, hey, look, let's actually make a business out of this. You know, I said to him, I will go out and raise the money. I will find factories in Italy. I will deal with wholesale. We'll open stores. I've done PR so I can do your PR marketing. I can do all operational business. You design the shoes. So we we did. We did that. And then when we got it. You are amazing. You single-handedly changed his entire life. I mean, it is like he should he I hope that he's named all of his kids tomorrow. Like think about think about that. You just walk along and you're like, so here's what's gonna happen. Okay, so first of all, I can put your name in British Vogue. So that's just one thing. But then I know how to do PR, I know how to raise some money, and and I'll and I'll design the shoes with you and you just make it. And then your whole life is gonna change forever and your grandchildren's <laughs> lives. Like it's nobody knows this and he gets all this credit because people just say jimmy Choo. nobody knows like there's this amazing woman who had this entire idea and the plan and then executed it i'm so glad that i get to share the story i mean i'm sure it's been shared already a thousand times but i get i love that we get to hear it again yeah and here's here's here was the kicker for me in the whole story was that once we'd set that up you know i said to him i said okay jimmy give me the sketches I've got to take the sketches to the factory in Italy. Um, but the sketches never came. And that moment of realization was like, oh my, my God, when I was going to his studio, I was designing the shoe and I didn't realize it. So Jimmy's technically very talented. He could make a pair of shoes, but it's a very different skill set to have a creative vision to design a collection. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I always think things are created twice, you know, first things are created in your mind and then technically, but first it's in your mind. Yeah. So, so I ended up designing the collection as well. And so, yeah, so it was a crazy story, but it was 16 years of building a brand, which is what led me to what I'm doing today. So before we get there, because that's where we're going, but just before we get there, so there's, cause there's so many people who are listening who have day jobs now, not maybe as fabulous as that particular job, 
But that is still scary to leave your job, especially when it's, you know, a fantastic job. So what was that moment like and what did you do? Did you prep for it before you left where you had already kind of, you know, got some things underway or did you leave and then start raising money and, you know, going after building the brand? Okay. Well, the truth is I got fired. (laughs) (laughs) I love how honest you are. You're like, well, they made it easy. So... And I'd had the idea to start Jimmy Choo before that. And I think, you know, what happened, I I ended up going to rehab. Um, I had a drug and alcohol problem. And I was just that as I was getting tired of what I was doing because I knew that. And, you know, a big thing for me is I knew that I love being an editor, but I knew that I'd never make any money really being a fashion editor. And so I, I really wanted to start a company. And I had the idea to start Jimmy Choo. And then I just, you know, my addiction was kind of taking over. And then eventually I got fired, which was the best thing that ever happened to me because it was such a kick in the butt that I needed. So what I did is I went two weeks later, I went and checked myself into rehab. And then when with the mindset of I'm going to get sober because I'm going to start this company. And then when I came out of rehab... You know, I started negotiating with Jimmy and we set up the company about six months later. That is so powerful. First of all, you're so brave and you deserve so much credit for that. And I, I have heard it said before that the opposite of depression is purpose. Yeah. And and so I love how you just linked that and you said, I'm going to go get myself sober so that I can do the thing I really want to do. And it feels like that sense of purpose was so motivating to you and really, you know, propelled you forward. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, I think and I really it. need it. And I think a little bit of fear also helps, you know, for me, it was like, where's my life going? You know, do I really want to continue down this, this path? And, you know, what's going to happen to me in 10 years if I continue like this? So also a little bit of fear is, is very motivating. Wow. That's amazing. Um, so then you, you left rehab and you started. And what was that like in the beginning? How was it? You know, was it smooth sailing? Was it, you know, some trial and error? How did that work? Um, well, the first startups are never smooth sailing. You know, there's a lot right. of hiccups along the way, but I, it's how you overcome them, you know, and there are always setbacks along the way. You know, the first collection that we tried to produce was a disaster. You know, we, we went to a factory mostly that... <laughs> You know, when we got the samples, we were in New York at a show, and when we opened the boxes, the samples were terrible. They were so bad that we God. couldn't even show them. So we so we started selling off sketches. Wow. Uh, you know, so it's but we kept going. So we moved factories. We got other samples made. You know, we just it's that persistence of just believing in it and not giving up. And how long do you feel like that took that persistence period until you had your first? You know, break? we we had we started in ninety, so ninety six. We had our first collection out in ninety seven. I would say our break was probably ninety nine. So ni- yeah, ninety eight was when we got the shoes. I remember Saks Fifth Avenue came in and gave us a huge order. You know, we got the shoes right, and I remember that moment of when we got the shoes right, like being in London, opening the boxes and looking at the shoes. And it was just like opening a drawer full of like candy. It was so exciting. It was just like, we were pulling out. And I knew that when I saw the shoes that, that, you know, we had something special. And then I just, I called all the department stores. I called Saks, Nordstrom's and Neiman's and everybody and, and, and got everybody in to come and look at them. And I remember the first ones to give us a huge order was Saks Fifth Avenue. And we had, you know, amazing 16-year relationship with them. Wow, that's amazing. How did Sex in the City affect your business? Well, that, that, was, that was such a milestone for us because it really turned us into a household name overnight. You know, Candice yep. Bushell came into the store in London. So I opened a tiny little store in, in London in Motcombe Street. It was probably 300 square feet. You could fit a Oh, I love hearing this because you would never, amazing. (laughs) Literally, my office was downstairs in a cupboard um, with no windows. And and she came into the store and she fell in love with the shoes. And so she wrote about them. And, you know, we didn't know it was coming out. It was a total surprise. She just loved the shoes. And so it was not something that we actually, you know, 
paid for or pursued or it was one of those serendipitous kind of magical moments. Oh my gosh. And she just walked in. She didn't, nobody told her about it or, or she just she found, found the little She shop. found the little story. Maybe she read about it somewhere or heard about it. Yeah. And she, she came in, but you know, I always say to people, you know, of course it was incredible being on Sex City, but the first thing we had to have was the shoes for her to fall in love with. That's exactly right. And you had to have that faith to open up that little shop, even if it was 300 square feet. So what were some of the things that you look back and you say, I feel like if I was talking to someone else who was starting a brand, here are a few things that I feel made us stand out. I think, you know, it always comes back to the product. You can do all the clever Mm -hmm. marketing that you want, but at the end of the day, if what you're selling is not good, you know, it's it's so, first it's product, um, and then it's people, you know, having uh, a team that believes in the mission, wants to execute your vision, um, is incredibly Mm -hmm. important. I've seen, you know, and experiences, companies not working with, with the wrong teams in place. So be very careful who you partner with, who you let in, whether that's from investors or, um, you know, the team in the office. That's, that's really critical. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. And I completely agree with you. The product has to be, you know, 99% of it. And, and there is something about Jimmy Choo. When you look at a row of, of shoes in Neiman Marcus, your eye just goes right yeah. to the shoe and it stands out. What do you think it is about it? You know, it's the design and the quality. You know, I work really hard on the quality. Um, And also, obviously, you know, the design and innovation on design is really important and fit, how it fits on the foot. Um, You know, and that's that's what I'm doing with my new brand is, you know, all those things again. Well, let's talk about that because it's it's amazing. You've continued to do something that's also now revolutionizing the whole fashion industry yet again. If if you would have just done Jimmy Choo, that would have been like, wow, look what she did in her lifetime. And now you're doing something yet again that is having a, a just it's, it's a whole new way of doing things. Can you explain to those people who might be listening who don't know? Can you tell us a little okay, about what you're so doing now? In a simple way, I'm sort of I'm disrupting the industry that I built which is crazy. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of competing against my, myself. So what, I'm do, what I realized is, you know, after I sold Jimmy Choo, that I really thought about the industry. And the industry is a very broken, outdated business model that doesn't work anymore. And eventually, every industry is going to be eaten by technology. And the people who Ahead of, of course, of, yes. You know, and, and plan for it are the, are the ones that are going to be built. So the next generation of luxury brands are not going to be built how I built Jimmy Choo. Um, Michael Kors was probably the last one to do it. So how we used to build brands was wholesale and retail, you know, trying to get into Neiman's and Saks mm-hmm. and open stores and then do print advertising in magazines. None of that works right. anymore. Um, so... The next generation of, of brands will be built online. So e- e-commerce is really the most important thing for a brand today. But what I also realized is the way we try and uh, sell clothes is completely outdated. So when I was young and started going to fashion shows, the only people who were allowed into a fashion show were press and buyers. And then the customer would see the product in a magazine and on a shop floor at the same time. And so it had this big reveal moment. So it made it really exciting. And right. there was a new trend and people wanted to rush out and get it. Problem is now that everybody sees the fashion shows, which is great. But the, what's happened is it still takes you know, the designers six months to get that product to the shop floor. So if you've looked at something for six months, by the time it comes in, you're kind of over it. It's got sort of fatigue around it. It's not exciting. No one's rushing Mm -hmm. out to buy it. You've looked at it for too long and you want the next new thing. So in a way, we've kind of killed ourselves by opening up fashion shows. So we either have two choices. We speed up from, you know, the process from show to when the customer can buy it. Uh, Or we stop, Mm -hmm. you know, opening up the shows, which is which you can't do now because it's it's too far gone. 
Um, and then also there's another thing we do in the industry is we try and sell our customers, you know, product in the wrong season. So we deliver spring, summer in January <laughs> and February and autumn, winter right. clothes in July and August. And nobody lives like that anymore. You know, all of us, we want to buy something yes. today and wear it tomorrow. We don't want to buy something and hang yes. it in our closet and then go and wear it in four months. So the whole mm-hmm. business model is outdated. So what I did with my new brand is I don't design collections anymore. I just, I design things monthly. And so I put new fashion items up every month that are season appropriate. It's actually what you want to wear. So cool. Right there. And then also, it, you know, Warby Parker was the first one to do this and then kind of. Yes, that's right. So I don't yes, do wholesale. Right. Um, so I go direct to the consumer. So I pay the same factory cost as my competitors. I pay the same factory cost as Jimmy Choo, Christian Louboutin, Manolo Blahnik, John Vito Rossi. But my shoes now are actually, the retail price is half because I'm, I don't have to put a wholesale margin in my product. So I'm not paying Neiman's rent. God, that's so cool. Buy that the is same so cool. quality shoe at half the price and you get what you want when you want it. You get boots in the winter and sandals in the summer and something new to look at every month. So unlike also the fashion industry who will deliver a collection four times a year and then the same thing sits on the shop floor for months and then goes on sale. So I just give my customers new things to look at every month. Um, I don't go on sale because the value in the shoe is already incredible. So we just keep giving you new things to look at that are season appropriate. It's so amazing. You're so smart that you constantly are thinking about things from this standpoint and you know how to solve a problem and you're brave because I don't know many other people doing this, especially on the level of luxury that you're providing. It's it's, it's so cool. We're the first real luxury brand to do this. Um, You know, because also I often think, well, if I, if I owned Jimmy Choo today, what would I do? Because you know, a lot of those big brands have they have hundreds of millions of dollars stuck in a wholesale channel, sitting oh my watching God. their orders decline because nobody yes, of course. That's right. But they're too That's big right. to pull out. So I was lucky. You know, my timing was very lucky. Is that my company was very small, so I just could pivot it. I actually pulled all my shoes out of uh, wholesale. I pulled my shoes out of Neiman's and Bergdorf. Wow. This wow, business I didn't realize model. that. Wow. It, it really is amazing how you're able to be so flexible. You know, I feel like people, they're, they're acting like dinosaurs in the way they're doing business because it's, it's, it's like earth shattering to try to now think of a whole new way, but you're, you're the first one there and you're right. They're all going to follow at some point. It, it, it blows my mind also in terms of advertising. And I want to ask you about this because if e-commerce really is where it is, how does that affect the amount of time you're focusing in social media marketing versus again, which I find a dinosaur where people are spending like $50 million on a single piece of advertising to go inside of a, a, a television show. It's like, you're, the attention isn't there anymore. The attention is on Facebook. The attention's on Instagram. So are you also shifting um, where you're doing your marketing because of yeah, the Yeah, you're absolutely space? right. So the only advertising we do is on Facebook and Instagram and the customers. So if you think about it, everything's mobile, right? So everybody's, you know, spends all their time, more time, you know, flipping through Instagram probably than anywhere else. And so, yeah, we just are, our advertising is all on social media, And that's where we're reaching our customers. You know, I haven't done one print ad. So smart. So smart. (laughs) Yeah. Such a waste of money. And and nobody cares. Like that. And we, and it's, you know, social media advertising is so flexible. We can, we can test so many different things. It's not like we have to bet millions of dollars on one image. I I feel like you could do a (laughs) TED talk on this because I feel like. No, seriously, I feel like the cost of attention right now, like you just said, on Facebook, it's it's relatively inexpensive. And and when other brands start to get this and they they stop channeling their money into print and commercials and they realize what you've already realized and you're like the first person to get this, the cost of the attention yeah. is going to go up on Facebook. Like you hit this at the right time. You get it. It's You're so smart. Honestly, it's amazing. I don't know if 
if people are, are getting it yet, but they're going to get it and they're going to go, oh, she, she knew yeah, something. Well, it's, it's people don't wow. like change, you know, and that's, that's what I find. They just, they don't want to, they don't want to change. They want everything to weigh, you know, to work the way it used to. But unfortunately, you know, we're going through a digital revolution and you've got to, you've got to embrace it. That's right. Oh, so cool. Um, tell us where people can find, find you and find all of, all of the beautiful um, things. So that you're they can go to tomorrowmelon.com. Or just follow us on Instagram. It's just Tamara Mellon. It's just my name. Cool. So some people ask us, and, and, and you clearly um, succeeded at this, but people will say, why should I start a business if there's already so much saturation? Like, let's say I want to, you know, create jewelry and there's already so many competitors. How am I going to get any part of that attention? And, and what would you say to that? I would say, you know, we've got to think outside the box, right? To think creative mm-hmm. ways to get your brand, you know, to get your brand out there and well-known. And if you, ha- I, I really truly believe that if you have an amazing product, people will always find you as well. Yeah, that's you very, know, very Word true. of mouth is still very powerful. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, people talk all, all the time about content creation. Like, you know, people aren't only buying the brand, they're also buying you and they're buying your story. How much time do you spend thinking about that, creating content or blogging? I mean, you personally probably have no time to, to be blogging yourself, but as far as the brand is concerned, relating to your customers in in a way that that's driven more by, you know, content um, than it is by front-facing marketing. So what I really wanted to do with the marketing on this was to have my true values um, communicated to the customer. Yes. So I didn't like the way that old luxury brands communicate with their customer. Mm-hmm. You know, they sort of sit in their ivory tower and they, they look down and they say, okay. That's right. This is how to watch it. And if you can buy, if you come and buy a handbag, you can buy a little piece of our dream. But I don't think that, that's just not the way I wanted to do it. I really wanted to build a community of people who kind of felt like my tribe and we had the same values. And I wanted it to feel like we were kind of making this revolution together. And so if you read all the copy that I write, the copy is really my voice and my, my values. And my, you know, what I experienced at Jimmy Choo over the years is, you know, when I started out, obviously I wanted to make beautiful shoes. I didn't, realize what I was going to face being a woman in business. And so that's my big passion is supporting women and being an activist for women's rights. And so if you read the copy, you know, it's all, you know, I'm always talking about something, you know, how I can engage with women, how I can help women, how, you know, we can support each other. And so that's, that's really what I wanted to communicate. And so all the copy that we write is something that I'm thinking about at that moment, I try and use to inspire women, whether it's the rebel pump or it's the, Oh, love it. Or, you know, so it's like, so it's like a name that you can kind of like kind of motivates you as well. When you put them on, you're like, yeah, I'm like a badass, my rebel punt. And I'm going to go and kick ass out of this job interview. <laughs> you know, I just want to like oh, I love them, it. motivate people and make women feel great. That's what I want to do. And you, you completely succeeded in that. And the reason I asked that question is because I have been reading your copy and not only the copy, but I live in LA and I was walking on Robertson uh, with my sister-in-law. Actually, she saw it first. And there was like a sandwich board outside of, I think it was, a, must have been a little pop-up shop that you've done. I'm not really sure yeah. because it was closed. Yes. And this sweet little message on the sandwich board, it was written like, hey guys, you know, I you know, I left a job to pursue something I really wanted. It was a message, something like that. I didn't write it down exactly, but it was very conversational. And it seemed like you had left this little post-it note for us to find. And you were basically saying the message was like, so you should, you know, never let things stop you and you should follow your dreams. And you guys can, you know, find more out about what I'm doing here. Blah, 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 blah. Do you, do you know yes, what I'm talking I do. about? Yes. So it, yeah, exactly. It's, you know, with this, with the relaunch of this, yeah, I just I wanted to have that direct communication, let people know what I was really thinking, which I couldn't do at Jimmy Choo. You know, it was it That's was right. very stuck in the old yeah. way of doing things, um, and this was so liberating. And you know, with social media now, and this, I can have a direct relationship with all my customers, um, which never used to happen because there was always a third party in between. It was either doing. You had to do an interview for a magazine or a newspaper, and then someone else would write about you, and that's the only way your customer really knew you. 
Today yes. is so different. We have we have a direct conversation, so we can talk about yep. we can talk about all different issues that we're all passionate about. Yeah, and you're you're certainly doing that, and I think that's what is so empowering about you, who you are, and you're lucky because not lucky in the sense that um, you didn't earn everything that you have, but in the sense that you, who you are, your soul, your being, it is really what people are buying. And you just happen to be a person who has cultivated and sculpted herself to be such a force. And that is what people I think are taking away from this brand for sure. It's really been well communicated. So I want to go back for a second to something you said before about how important women's issues are to you and to empower women. And I'm wondering what your message is to women entrepreneurs. So my, if I was talking to my younger self, what I would say is I would say, speak up. When I was young, I was too too afraid to speak up, you know, and and say anything. And I think that, you know, what a lot of women do is women, you know, very often will like kind of work themselves to death, hoping to be noticed yeah. for that promotion or that raise. Um, and I and I think it's very important that women learn to speak up. Um, they learn to believe in themselves. And also, if I was talking to my younger self, I would have said, don't be afraid to ask for help. I always felt like I had to figure everything out on my own. I almost right. felt like asking for help showed some kind of weakness. And then I realized mm-hmm. it's not at all. It's actually there are a lot of people out there who are very willing to help. And I would get male mentors as well as female mentors. You know, I would get men on my side, too, you know, to help negotiate yep. things or, you know, do or just advice. So yep. speaking up, asking for help are two two important things. But I feel that I wish someone had told me. That's great advice. I'm curious because um, I heard you say on a Google talk that you did that you were the only woman on a board of 10 people for Jimmy Choo. And I'm curious as you went through, you know, the first few incarnations of yourself in business, what was one of the biggest obstacles you felt you faced as a woman and how did you overcome that? The biggest, you're right, I had, you know, it was crazy to think that I had, there were no women on the board of Jimmy Choo, which is really a a very feminine business, selling shoes to women. Um, And I had a a board of men that, you know, it's almost like saying, you know, me taking a bunch of fashion editors and saying, okay, I'm going to put all of you on the board of this company that makes tires for race cars and see if you can all know what to do with that. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's just well. In the end, I ended up leaving um, because it was it was a problem that I I I just I couldn't resolve at Jimmy Choo, um, and that's why I left and started this brand as well. It was one of the reasons is because I wanted to create a culture that I felt comfortable in, that I really believed in, and I wanted to create a culture and a company with very different values. So I left, mm-hmm. I took the risk and I left. And, you know, I often think, you know, if I'd stayed on another five years, I could have made, you know, probably a ton more money. You know, Jimmy Choo just sold for now like 1.2 billion. But oh, okay. I felt like I was selling my soul and I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and I wanted a business with, that was a culture that I believed in. So how do you feel? Do you wake up pe- feeling pretty fulfilled these days? I do. I wake up, I'm really excited to come to the office I have an amazing team of women, a couple of men. We're not, you know, <laughs> we're not anti-men. Um, but I do, I have a phenomenal female CEO. Um, and for the first time in my life, I feel like I have a real partner in building this business. Before, I always felt like my CEOs were sort of like arranged marriages that I right. wasn't really comfortable in. And this time, you know, I'm really excited. I, I love my team. I look forward to seeing them when I wake up in the morning. Oh, that's I love hearing that. You know, you started this story talking about, you know, where you were when you left British Vogue and you checked yourself into rehab. And that's takes a lot of courage to share that story. And let's face it, there's a lot of people listening and there's a lot of people in the world who self-medicate themselves in many different ways because they're not happy. And I love hearing that you it's a simple thing, but it's something that is complicated for a lot of us. And you you took responsibility for your own happiness in many ways and you achieved that that's I think the greatest accomplishment thank you I really appreciate that 
Yeah, and, and you had a lot of, you know, things to overcome to get there, even when you were creating something so incredible and you had changed somebody else's life entirely. It, it wasn't all, you know, thank you cards that you were getting. And here you are again. You just keep, you keep reinventing yourself and you don't let anything stand in your way. And you being the happiest version of you, which you created, that is 100%. You, you get to take credit for that. That is so inspiring. I mean, truly. So two last questions. Um, one question is, what's the best piece of advice you were ever given? It's going to sound a little trite. <laughs> I remember when I was a teenager and my dad, who was one of my greatest mentors until he passed away in 2004, I remember he looked at me and he said, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. <laughs> and yeah. It's almost like a little mantra that I have in my head that, you know, and I'm like, okay, it's tough right now, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to get, you know, you say to me, the tough get going. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And it was like the silliest little saying, but it worked. But it is everything. I mean, that really does sum it up. And, and, and it's truly what you've, um, you've demonstrated that with your life. Like that's, you know, that's got to feel so good to not let, I mean, one of your greatest accomplishments is is being willing to stick in things even when they get hard and you face things head on and you've done it over and over and over again. And you do it while making it look pretty easy, even though probably not. <laughs> Pedaling away underneath. Oh <laughs> like it's like a sort of like a swan you're gliding on top but pedaling like underneath. but you know like they say like growth is like oxygen and boy you know you're you're like a student of growth you're like let's do it okay so what's the harder journey that's going to actually lead to more fulfillment that's really you know where my integrity lies no problem let's do that you know so here you are so Final question as we're um, signing off. Any last words of advice to give to our listeners who are already just sitting there now? They're like so inspired and they're like, okay, where do I start? What do I do? Will I ever get there? What are your last words? My last words were, um, it's just important to keep moving. So if you're thinking like many young people, like am I sitting in a job that I, you know, what, what am I doing here? Why am I not starting my own business? <laughs> so just remember you're always learning. That's right. And that is the most valuable thing. So just being busy. You know, I remember even when I was young, um, before I actually worked on the shop floor, I would, you know, I'd met people who were photographers or stylists. Or I'd just show up on the shoot and I'd work for free. Wow. You know, and it's just, just t- keeping busy. That, that's what's important. Wow. That's such good advice. And that's amazing to hear that you, you've done things like that in your life, but, but you're not above it. You are not above any of it. You're like, let's let's do it. Um, think- no, that's that's the killer, right there. When you think you're above something, that's interesting. It's interesting to hear you saying that. You know, like it's easy for someone else to say it, but someone who's been, you know, given access to certain things, who would still be willing to do something for free, that's the real deal. You know, absolutely. I mean. You know, I'll still get on my hands and knees and, you know, scrub the shop floor if I have to. Wow. I mean, there's not much to say. You know, I've admired you for so long and I thought, well, I hope I also like her, you know, and it's like it's so just heartwarming and refreshing when someone who you think is just such a force of nature and business also turns out to be such a decent human being. And that may be also part of your success, Tamara, is that. This is really who you are. You know, there's no fronting. It's just, this is it. So thank you. Thank you. And I wanted to, yeah, with my new brand, that was so important to me. The honesty was really, really important to me because you can't connect with anyone unless you're really honest. Yeah. And I feel like what's already happening, and you probably already realize it, but it's like a whole other career is happening for you simultaneously. And that career is you are now a stand for other women and you're inspiring other women. You're like, you're sort of without even knowing you're writing this other book, you're also writing like other books at the same time where you're basically becoming like, 
you know, you're an advocate and, and you're now giving other people permission to be themselves. So in a way you're like Oprah Winfrey and Tony Robbins and all these other people rolled into, oh, rolled into a fashion design. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for, for being so generous and being with us. And, uh, we're all so excited. We're all so excited that you were here and, uh, we can't, we can't wait to see, uh, what you're going to continue to do because you're changing, changing the industry and you're changing things for women. And, um, it's really exciting to see to see it all coming together and to see what's next. So thank you. Oh, thank thank you for the interview. Oh my gosh, it's so much fun to meet all these awesome people week after week and find out that they're not just successful, but they're also so nice and kind and honest and down to earth and easy to talk to. And you know, when I was growing up, I had this, people would tell me things like, if you were going to be really successful, well, then you turn out to also be a jerk or you can't really be truly happy if you're successful. But it turns out week after week, I meet people who show me like it's possible to be really successful and happy and down to earth and kind and relatable. So it's so cool to get to meet Tamara and to just see what a nice person she is. And and it's so cool that week after week, if you listen to this show, you're meeting people and listening to people tell their stories and they didn't necessarily get handed, you know, a silver spoon or the easiest map, but they figure it out and they, they go for it. And it's such a reminder that no matter what it is we want to do and how left of center it might sound, it's all doable. It's all possible as, as long as we're willing to stay in it and go for it. And it's just so exciting to hear people, you know, winning. And I, I, I've gotten used to it now. Like now I I don't think it's so far-fetched if somebody says, you know, I want to write a screenplay. I want to be a figure skater. I want to open three, you know, three bakeries, 30 bakeries. I'm like, do it. Great. Go, go, go. Win, win, win. It's doable. It's possible. Keep going. So here are some of my takeaways from today. Number one, pick the industry you love and then start working. No matter what the position is, don't sit around looking for the perfect job. Number two, a successful business always comes back to the product. Number three, we're going through a digital revolution. Be flexible and embrace it. Number four, speak up if you want to get noticed instead of working yourself to death. Number five, it's okay to ask for help and have mentors. Number six, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. I love that. And number seven, keep moving, keep busy and keep learning. Okay. Thank you for listening to our show. It's such an honor. I know that there's a million things you guys can be doing with your time and you're here and you're listening to the show and it makes me feel nothing short of amazing. It's an incredible feeling that I get to be a part of your life. Hopefully here as a reminder that you are braver and more incredible than you maybe give yourself credit for. And I hope that these shows are inspiring you and breaking things into pieces a little bit so that you can start to feel like it is maybe doable and more manageable and it could happen for you. And why not? Why shouldn't it happen for you? Every week I close the episode with a song that I wrote and today's song is called Let Your Colors Shine and I thought it was pretty perfect for everything that we talked about today about just letting it be true and letting it be out there and how liberating it is to just do what you want to do and say what you need to say and just how brave that is and so the song is called Let Your Colors Shine. I wrote it a few years ago and um, it's been featured in a few different ads and TV shows and movies so you might have heard it, you might recognize it. Um, But I hope that you guys will let your color shine and I hope that you will continue to walk forward and let yourself fly your flag, whatever color it is, whatever it feels like, there's a space for it. And guess what? You're not alone in that. So fly your flag, tell the truth, let your color shine. It'll allow other people to make space for what they are and how they are and who they are. And, And we can all see each other more and enjoy this ride together more and help one another carry whatever it is that we're carrying. I'll talk to you guys next week. Hope to see you on the Facebook page this coming Thursday, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Don't Keep Day Job Facebook page. And for those of you in New York, I'll be there October 10th. So come on over to the Don't Keep Day Job Facebook page or Facebook group and get your tickets. Um, and if anything I said today inspired you to want to tell us more of what's true about you, go for it. Be brave and tell us something. Tell us something that's true that you want to just be okay with and make space for and realize that you can because there's so much more that's also true about you. I'll talk to you guys next week. Special thanks to our executive producer, Tim Street and producer Emma Kikuchi. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. Everybody.